1: Hello and welcome to another edition of the Aldous Podcast. I'm your host Ben Sparks and today we are continuing with our digital transformation series with a focus on service. Today we are very lucky to host G-Van. G-Van currently holds a position of vice president and has successfully led multiple managed service accounts with a specialization on cross-functional leadership and digital transformation. He's got a a large focus on IT and making his business stakeholders successful. In this conversation, g is going to be giving us his views on digital transformation themes, specifically in the banking and finance sector, which is where he he currently resides, how risk and control is shaping the transformation sector in general, some of the key projects, and he's going to give us some insight into some of the value that he's brought to organisation. And also something that we hear a lot of, which is around stakeholder management best practice. And given that g role is very much holistic across functional work across the business, he knows he's got some great stories to tell there. So Jivan welcome to the show.
2: Thank you thanks a lot Ben thanks for having me and inviting me as a part of, to be a guest in the show. Thank you very much.
1: No it's, it's a pleasure. So let's start by giving our listeners an overview of kind of who they're listening to. Um talk to us about your current role and responsibilities.
2: Sure Ben thank you very much. As Ben introduced I'm, I'm Jivan Lobo. I'm currently working with a banking and a financial institution. I work as a member of um, cross-functional global web and application engineering team in the capacity of a vice president. So my core and critical roles are related to risk and compliance, where I drive risk and compliance uh, initiatives for my engineering team. And in addition to this, I also support the team with product management activities, inventory management, and also drive a lot of continuous improvement initiatives.
1: Obviously, we're going to touch on some more product specific things later on, but let's zoom out a bit. You're in banking and finance at the moment. What are some of the the, the macro trends that are driving digital transformation in that sector at the moment?
2: Sure, Ben. So Ben, uh, I want to start with, you must have seen this common thing in the recent times. What's the biggest, who has influenced digital transformation? And the options were, is it the CXO, the CIO, and another one option was COVID. know I'm not trying to make it in a light term, but apparently with the recent COVID, you've seen a big spring in digital transformation and that holds Indeed. good. And that holds good for the banking and finance industry. Now I just made uh, my top five points. there are many more, and we can go on for a day. But to begin with, the trends that I see is number one, there's a accelerated consolidation and drive for scale which i which is pretty visible right now uh, you see the the credit unions for example they're trying to be we see a lot right now maybe around 5000 in the us right now but the forecast is say by 5 years down the road they're going to bring it to, down by 50% so that's number one for me ben second one is the innovative customer interactions especially with this banking and finance industry as such you already we've gone pretty deep with self service it's been a common norm today but we're getting as we move on. We're going to look at more advanced social networking apps, video conferencing, AI, robotics. So that's number two for me, Ben. The third one would be mainstream technology trends. Um, We're getting pretty mature, I would say, in cloud. There's still a long way to go. Hybrid cloud has been in there for some time. But along with big data, mobilization, 5G, these are like new techniques and trends which have to be integrated with the digital transformation in finance. Number four for me would be with, there's been a huge change in our consumer attitudes and expectations. Now I can speak of that personally for me. Also we in the bank where I work in, we've seen a lot of, what do you say, a lot of changes and a lot of productivity, especially because people were remote during this time. And our consumers, our customers, they all are aware that lots more can be done, our clients. So this is a a big trend, which I see. And the last one I would like to end with is cryptocurrency. So now we must have heard of Bitcoin technology. This is increasingly being adopted by financial systems. There are a few banks who have been fairly successful. But uh, we're going to see uh, a lot more adoption of the cryptocurrency assets, digital currency in central banks. So that's these are the top five I have, Ben.
1: Wow, And you're right, each of those could be its own podcast. So thank you for, for summarizing that so eloquently. Just to challenge that, and, and I suppose we are seeing obviously a lot of digital transformation in some of the other highly regulated industries, such as life sciences, how does you know, banking and finance differ?
2: Yeah, that's a great question, Ben, thank you. So in healthcare health and life sciences and i've i've had a a decent stint there maybe three to four years there so digital transformation in healthcare is more like it's like the positive impact of technology in healthcare here while both if you look at if i have to do a, a contrast banking and financial and life sciences every we all are focusing on customer experience but where the difference is and what i particularly found is we're seeing an increased, what is an increased innovation, a lot of technology trends. So for example, telemedicine, artificial intelligence, blockchain, electronic health records. These are just some examples, some concrete examples of digital transformation in healthcare, which are completely reshaping right now. And if you look at health and life sciences, we're looking more at innovation, right? Innovation is the name of the game there. In fact, uh, the one Big contrast, which I could say perhaps is there's been a when you compare it with a banking and financial industry or the vertical, the adoption of digital transformation is slightly lower in healthcare and pharmaceutical compared to banking and financial. So that's a big that's a big, what you say contrast with banking and financial, particularly being more involved. You have new features, you have user experience rollouts, with health and life sciences. There is a stringent regulatory control, the HIPAAs, the FDAs. So change is relatively slow, but I see that slowly changing. So for example, in our recent experience with COVID, for example, if you've seen how quickly we came up with vaccines in the Moderna, Pfizer, AstraZeneca, Johnson and Johnson the typical trial, I see that pattern, the trend changing. But to compare, of course, digital banking and financial are way up in the game and uh, health and life sensors are not too bad. They're catching up.
1: Awesome. That's really interesting. So we talked about trends. I'd like to come back to finance, if you may. What are some of the challenges for financial institutions? And that's an intentionally wide question, so I'll let you roll with that.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, thanks for that. So I'll try to break it down into three, four points. And number one is one big challenge that I see is the enormous number the plethora of manual processes uh, that are used in in the financial industry when i speak about we speak about automation and all that stuff that continual improvement efforts which going which 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 goes on but there are a lot more manual processes which I- eventually slows down the um, end user customer experience so that's a big challenge and with automation coming in, with new technologies coming in, we should see lesser back-end manual processes. So that that's not, uh, one big challenge. The second one, regulatory and compliance, it, you know, holds good for every sector, vertical, and uh, being a very impactful industry for any economy. Uh, financial industry is strictly regulated. We have GDPR rules, and again, you have country regulations too, ensuring that. The banking financial industry is at par or doing their best to ensure that regulatory and compliance risks are not compromised is another challenge. The third one I would speak about are multiple outdated legacy systems, right? Remember, we have evolved from the mainframes to the current technology, but we still do have early adoption of technology by banks have know we have a lot of mainframe systems irrespective of the organizations do not help us integrate with new systems right so now this is a big challenge and there have been a lot of back-end dependency over the years customer information and so many things trying to get ahead of the game getting to move out of that outdated legacy technology is going to be a, another challenge and the last one which i had is the back office inefficiencies right while this is very much reduced and i see more effective and prominent organizations going away from that we there's still a lot of paper and manual processes which have been there for a long time we, we see it lesser in few countries few regions but yeah we, we still have to there's still a long way to go in terms of getting rid of all this manual work
1: thank you very much so as we sorry let's talk a little bit more about risk and control specifically why is this important
2: sure Sure, Ben. So, this is something very close to my heart. I've, even though I started as a, been mainly involved in delivery management, program management, but in the last year and a half, I've been very closely uh, involved with this. Now, risk management, um, now, when you look at risk management, what is it? You just identify risks, problems, any disasters. You're trying to be proactive. You want to ensure that you don't get hit very late in the game. And then with us, with banking financial institutions, the penalties that you have to pay, the reputation of your company, all that is at risk and at stake. The risk and control basically is to help your company attain its goals and profits by protecting it against any financial risk. And that's the core in a sense of risk management. Now, when it comes to the objectives, and why do we need to do this is any firm, and that could be and i am not only particularly narrowing down on banking financial but any firm should be prepared for potential losses in the most economic way possible and having a good good controls internal controls and by the way risk management are mainly internal controls having good internal controls helps reduce anxiety you don't want to be hit you know, struck by a thunderstorm very late and also to meet any externally imposed obligations. So you've got your external regular audit, auditors and you've got uh, your, your legality. So you want to be, you want to ensure that you're doing the right things, you have controls in place, you're pretty structured so that you don't get hit by an audit and thereby pay penalties. And there's a lot of things which get added to it. Your reputation value, your share values can go down. So there's a lot of ripple effect if risk and control is not maintained. And by having risk and control as a culture as a practice in an organization it can help employees they can reduce the likelihood and severity of potential project risk so for example we we get so many phishing alerts or scamming mails all those things if an organization builds that culture of risk and control very deep and with every employee it really helps the organization not to get you know hit very late in the game
1: thank you and um Obviously, ServiceNow specifically as a platform, we're seeing, you know, that become more and more prevalent within financial organizations, be that banking, insurance or credit risk, etc. Why is this the platform of choice at the moment for finance? And I I'm, and I'm, would love to know specifically from a, a risk perspective, if you don't mind.
2: Sure, definitely, Ben. So I've been involved, at least I work with the ServiceNow as a platform, like it's been my sixth year, sixth, seventh year. I have really loved the way ServiceNow has evolved. And when I say that, I used it to just implement ServiceNow as a service IT service management tool period. And this was 5 years ago. Today as we speak, we look at ServiceNow evolving into they are they're so what do you say market friendly. They've got separate modules for ITBM which is IT business management. They have an IT operations management, they have a separate module on on governance and risk so i'm particularly fond that they are you're moving with the trend of what the market is looking for which is which is uh, which is very good with respect to advantages of service now and something which i personally liked are the advanced high availability being hosted in the cloud there's no uh, and ease of you using it now even now you use it on the phone you have of course with the right access and privileges but yes that's that's one thing the fact that it has it, it could be used as a good Tool for like with other applications that we have usually in-house business can, having business continuity planning all that could be a big concern but it's pretty well taken care of with ServiceNow. Also, the fact of universal access, customer flexibility, these are some good um, advantages I see, and where where I've used ServiceNow extensively. Now, coming to risk module benefits. Now, some things which I use even at work are two modules. One is the GRC module, which basically stands for governance, risk and compliance. And then there's IRM, which stands for Integrated Risk Management. ServiceNow comes now with the GRC module. And this has at least helped my organization automate and do help provide broader understanding of all GRC activities. Of course, you have to configure them, customize it to your requirement, but look at this, you have everything configured in a single window, real-time monitoring, what's what's going to fall off and w- w- what you have to do. If there's a next vulnerability coming in place, you have all your controls to to be ahead of the game. So I like the GRC module. And the fact that it's integrated with CMDB, which is so core, again, every organization, it, it all depends, you may have the best tool, but you also need to customize it for your requirements. So. I really like the fact that it works on a set of foundational data, and then you can customize it and you can utilize it across all your integrating layers of also the reporting capabilities, right? So that can be broke down and customized at a granular level for different layers of stakeholders who would like to see them. And last but not the least, it requires a high level of work. I already touched upon this. An implementation of a service now GRC requires high level of work, even though you know organizations or there may be some expert consultants have implemented their GRC across, but you still have to start again, ensure that you understand the organization, understand who's going to be, who are the recipients for it. But yeah, that's something I had on GRC and why I like the risk and control part particularly. You
0: are listening to the oldest podcast. When you're looking to scale your team, or if you are interested in showcasing your company in a future episode, reach out today. Or if you're in the market for a new role, visit our website to view open positions, www.aldis.com.
1: And we mentioned before in my intro, you've, you've been involved with multiple not only ServiceNow transformations, but other digital transformations as well. Could you mind sharing some case studies with us and maybe some of the challenges you faced and, and what the actual project outcome was and how that benefited the business?
2: Sure, Ben. We love to. Let me take. Uh, I'll give you two case studies. My first one is perhaps this a support. This I'm talking about a bank which had got 40, approximately 15,000 users and utilized as may, a lot of IT service management tools and had multiple configuration management databases, also called CMDBs. So, bank this global bank was spending way too much um, administrative time on change management. I'm specifically speaking about change management because changes are so critical and capturing them, tracking them is something very important too because you eventually get audited and you need to, uh, you have something called as a traceability where you need to see if where you're, where the failure did happen. So apparently, raising a change took an employee in the bank an average of seven hours, no, not because of the actual activity of raising the change, but they had to have it registered across many tools because then they had multiple boards to review it. <coughs> and, and In addition to that, there was a lot of manual approval process. They did not have a workflow in place. Uh, of course, with time zones, with geographies, that was a big issue. Regulatory compliance was a challenge because you had changes which went well, perhaps with the local laws uh, here in the U.S., but not so maybe in Europe. So they had a lot of controls to be monitored. There were risk of service failures were high. So this is where the, the, the actual challenge or the problem statement was. And uh, again, this is sometime in my career. We worked uh, together with a big team of uh, ServiceNow consultants, architects, and also some, some project managers. And uh, what we did is we had to... We needed a our solution was to build a single integrated tool set so that we automate delivery and control of incident, problem, change, configuration. So that was our solution. So at a very high level, I would say we helped automate change processes so that employees could deliver better banking experience while maintaining regulatory compliance. Now. I could spend half a day just going through that process because I know how cumbersome it was. But thanks to our team, we had to, there were a lot of work which had to go at the back end, speaking to stakeholders, understanding their systems, understanding why it was important, going back to the regulatory requirements. There was a lot of back, what do you say, backend process mapping, and then you had to see the t- team feasibility. So there were a lot of challenges. But to let you know of the output, it took us a good 10, 12 months, okay? And what we did was, the, the outcome was we, we had one integrated ServiceNow with 15 data sources, which, which ideally, some of them were ServiceNow modules, some of them were maybe SharePoint-based modules, but we got them all integrated. And as a result, um, the average time to raise a change, an incident, which took them, I would, I, I think I mentioned six hours and eight hours, that that just went down to like less than 30 minutes. That too, ensuring we had all our regulatory controls, ensuring that we had our workflow approvals. So we did a lot, we did a lot of, but this was a big benefit for us. And in addition to this, we did a lot of saving because we decommissioned their legacy systems, which could just, a lot of cost saving for the organization. So Ben, that was, that, oh, I'll say one uh, great experience that I had, I think three, four years ago, Another one which I would like to talk to you about is a bank, again, they wanted they wanted to transform their operations with the ServiceNow platform. So basically the problem statement was, it was as, and this was more to do with the customization of the tool, right? So they had a tool, they definitely had a tool, but when they raised tickets, they had basic categories and subcategories. They weren't, and they had, so for example, suppose they had a problem with the, the monitor, they would say, okay, hardware, monitor and that was like a classified one but if they had something which was not a part of the category something ad hoc they just had an option for ad hoc and what eventually happened was 90 percent of the incidents were were what you say tracked as ad hoc now what that did was people or you know teams were unaware of what actually was the problem. So uh, because when you cannot narrow down to what the problem is, it becomes difficult to find a solution. So what we did was we did a a couple of things. One is we, of course, improved the ticket categorization criteria. And we uh, took advantage of the other modules of ServiceNow, the recent modules of ServiceNow. I think it's not so recent now, but we have the ITBM, which is the IT business management. Now we had a lot of Project requests, program requests, all of them coming in through incidents, which uh, apparently is not the was not the right source of channel. The tracking of them, people, business would say, I raised a request, where is my you know, project? Uh, completion so what we did was we bifurcated we made we channelized the sources properly so for example we defined what has to go into the itbm module projects portfolios resource management okay great what has to go into the itom that is it operations management okay events uh, reducing your noise so you have anything which is alerted okay that goes to that module. then what goes to incidents what goes to requests so what we eventually did was and by doing this we were able to transform user experience so the huge email volumes all the clutter of events coming in informational events, all that was reduced uh, and what eventually happened was we were able to reduce the time to resolve i would say p- people would there it was like a needle in the haystack issue for most businesses they wouldn't they would for an it team they were not they wouldn't know what to prioritize and when to prioritize so defining sla so by doing that we were able to reduce the time to resolve, increase the first time resolution, thereby, or help our customers become happy. And also another one last thing which we also did was the new hire onboarding. So whenever a new person got onboarded, the tracking of the ticket beat from the the time they got the access to their seat to the time they get fully onboarded with the applications, all that work took a lot of time. But we introduced module which would track end to end with approval workflows and all that became so smooth. So. Uh, just to give you some stats it would take an employee 20 days until they became fully productive we got that done in 3 days thanks to this so this is i just gave you a, i can go on and on i'm very wow. passionate about this ben but this is <laughs> but these are the two things which i had in mind
1: no, oh, they're fantastic, and I really appreciate those examples because they talk very much to the business outcomes, and as you mentioned there, and, and the happy customers. Obviously, great examples there. You could you, maybe you even do this on a daily basis. But if you were to offer some advice, some sort of key, sort of top top coaching to a, a suite executive who is just about to embark on some digital transformational change in the business, what what key things should that person have front of mind?
2: Sure. Thanks, Ben. In fact, I have just registered myself as an organization champion who drives initiatives for the organization. So you know, I can really associate with this. So, Perfect. my number one point will be identify a C-suite champion, which is what I am trying to be for my organization in terms of. You need to be the champion because you need someone to take the onus and the responsibility and accountability to drive that within. And then, thing is, it's very important before enforcing change. It is very important to walk a mile in the shoes of the customer so it could be an application owner an infrastructure owner it could be so you need to figure out okay play devil's advocate and see why wouldn't that work for them or what could be the annoying factors that's very important because unless you walk a mile in their shoes and just if you go ahead and impose it will definitely be retaliated and you will not get any success so Understanding that is very important. Third point would be definitely you need to get a buy-in, and you need to have what do you say measures, right? So when you speak, of once the basic groundwork of assessment and understanding is done, you have to re, you have to level set. You have to say, okay, we you scratch my back, I scratch yours, but not in. We have to define how would the. Customer be benefited by following that change. And you tell them you have to do this for you to get this. That's very important. Defining success, how it will be measured, and showing that and projecting it to your to your across the organization is very important because most of the time I've seen people, even if they are initially not accepting change, they once they see the results and once they know that they have been a part of instrumenting it positively the mindset changes. And then that's when they acknowledge and they they become more uh, accountable. Yeah. And then definitely evaluating, aligning your business processes. I, I, it's one big thing, which I've seen very success, which works out very well for me is data measurement. And if you're able to translate it and show it at any level of the organization, to show people why you want to do it. So that, that becomes very important. And one last thing is, I think we need to, with a lot of talent dearth in the industry i think we need to double we need to double our talent we need to ensure that folks are multi-skilled they have a skin in the game engage them engage them as much as they can so that they feel a part, they feel engaged i have a small note which i mentioned move away from system of record which is more like a compliance thing to a system of engagement wherein they feel oh yeah I'm a part of this bigger change.
0: No,
1: no, thank you very much. And we mentioned before, and, and this is a, a topic that people would really love some mentorship around, which is stakeholder management. I think we see a lot of people that are even navigating purely technical roles and now are in business technical hybrid roles. So what are your top tips for stakeholder management?
2: Yeah, so stakeholders, and I, I love and thrive at making friends and connecting with people. Number one, and for me is you need to treat stakeholders as your partners right there's a big word called trust and unless your stakeholders trust you you still have that you you still draw the line but for them to trust you they need to see something in you for, for you know so basically i'll tell you that some tips that i do is i i try to connect with people uh, in a way that i understand what they need and I, they shouldn't see me as a person who's just wagging along but who's basically genuinely interested in their problem so that that becomes very important establishing the trust is very important then the second part would be like stakeholders need to have a skin in their game it's when they say skin in the game it's not that they need to feel that they're just not signing the check but they are also participating in it so basically they they need to have they need to have some responsibilities in terms of, of course they give the guidance but they need to know what are we need to understand what are their requirements and it's very important for us to provide that communication back to them so that they know okay i asked for 10 points at least i'm getting progress on it or i'm not, i'm going back and that's absolutely important to to do that and it's important also to share news to be transparent with your stakeholders i've seen a lot of relationships fall apart um, when i'm talking about professional stakeholder relationships when some people try to conceal what's the the truth is right so for example you might have had a delay you might have the project is going maybe 20 percent behind schedule but they try to camouflage it or they try to show something else and it becomes very and then we're speaking about trust here right so if, if and once a stakeholder knows that you don't trust them or you're playing dirty, you, you know that the end is inevitable. So maintaining transparency is absolutely important. And one another tip is having that dialogue. We work in uh, huge environments. You have users, you have developers, you've got um, a business, and then you've got risk and control, you've got the supporting departments. You need to ensure that you have an ongoing dialogue you don't want to introduce say a new change which will make the developers very unhappy, right, or you don't want to do something which the which developers are very comfortable with, but then the users say, no, I am not open to it so preparing for that, having the dialogue, getting them into some scrum agile meeting so that they they participate is very important and then with what do you say with a lot of this collaborative technology available you have you have teams you've got sharepoints you've got you've got all of them pretty available the moment people can sign into slack for example that's an that's a pretty cool tool you've got a lot of these tools to keep your stakeholders updated so i think might as well leverage them but bottom line keep it build the trust keep it transparent and then the results will follow
1: so sticking on the, the theme of kind of mentorship some, another thing we're seeing is an, especially be this uh, consulting company or be an end customer We've seen uh, digital transformation teams scale very quickly, probably arguably maybe even too fast in some areas. As an as a executive yourself, what are your, kind of your tips for um, building and maintaining a, a winning team?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. It's so hard to retain talent <laughs> and to find talent in, in these days because the talent, people are having lots of opportunities. But the best practice, the, the, some practices that I follow is i respect individuality so every individual is unique and um, i would allow each one to excel and let each person shine it's very important to understand your team each member may be different so some may speak communicate very well some people may present very well some people are very good at analytics some of them can do the automation development it's important to level set and meet each team team member way they are and appreciate them for what they are. That's absolutely important. And also giving a team space, giving each team member, give them the space. I know there is a lot of, and that's where the strategy of a leader plays a different role, right? As a leader, you need to look at some backups, but you need to develop an environment wherein your team excels they feel happy they get their space some people would like creative space some people would like so i think you know what you say no um, everybody is unique here you need to respect that some tips i have from for building a strong team right the word smart is usually used standing for you know specific measurable achievable, realistic, and time-bound, right? So setting those goals and having that level setting expectation with the team is absolutely important. One is individually, and number two, as a team, how do they gel? It's very important to set roles. As a leader, I've found many times where you have overlapping roles where people, team members, are not comfortable when their roles are picked by another person or when they're off, somebody else picks it up. Ensuring that you, you define the roles well and in case something of that happens, people are okay to accept. That is important. Something which I found very recently is experimenting. What happens is we come with a fixed mindset and a perspective of an individual who would, would typically surprise us. So maybe give a task which you think a person B may not be very good at just to see. Sometimes it works wonders. So. As a leader experimenting, sometimes, I'm not asking to do this all the time, but you need to give that space so that you can build a creative ability of a person who who found a blind spot themselves. I am totally open with this new age of embracing diversity and women leadership and pretty much open irrespective of as far as the work is done, it's more about embracing diversity. That's something which really builds a team culture and bonds a lot of get new ideas, new perspectives, better ways and ideas of doing things. Of course, being accountable to the team. As a leader, a team is looking up to the leader and ensuring that their requests are met. like for a small thing, like getting back to them in case they are taking a leave of absence or if they have something very personal going on. It's being accountable to the team is also a, a key factor to build that team. And of course, communic- um, they say communicating, communicating effectively is the key. So, in addition to group meetings or weekly staff updates, having that one-on-one, and sometimes, and off, off the team, maybe a monthly or a quarterly connect outside, just to get to know the team better. So, these are some few tips that I had. Ben.
1: Great ones as well. So, just as we come to a close, you know, I'd love to, you know, get your views on what sort of service now, what the future of service now looks like. Sorry for for finance and. Maybe what's the how will the platform evolve, and, and what what are we potentially going to see from future state of ServiceNow, in your opinion?
2: Sure, Ben. So as I also covered some time back, I've uh, worked with ServiceNow as a tool for the last six to seven years, and I've really witnessed their what do you say sensitivity to needs of the market. I can be I'll say from a testimonial in terms of using the tool. So. With financial and coming back to my industry, banking and finance, we are under increasing demand from authorities and customers all the time, every time to provide secure, available and scalable services. And with today's digital environment, this is like a prerequisite, not not a lot like it's a given so to maintain this competitive um, edge we require a a platform of choice which could you know be achieved at competitive at a low cost but it has got you know it it can take care of your security requirements so we just spoke about grc sometime back it has to be it, it has to take care of your with cloud services there's a lot of increase in cloud adoption so we are looking for tools and ServiceNow, I feel fits that bill in terms of providing that assistance. We covered the advantages some time back. Its availability, its its architecture being multi-tenant. So these are some good features. I think one thing which particularly stands out for me is how ServiceNow have they have modules designed. We spoke about the GRC module for risk and control. Then they had developed ITPM, ITOM. I know that as we they have some special modules for HR, they have modules for finance, so back-end processing. So I I expect and I'm looking forward, based on what I've seen with ServiceNow in the past, I think they're going to evolve with the customer needs. And I, with data being plentiful, there's AI, there's cloud, and all of this is going to take center stage. So I'm expecting ServiceNow to you know come up with solutions that could m- m- match what's going to come up in the market.
1: Fantastic. Jivan, this has been such an insightful conversation. Thank you so much for your time and and, and going into so much detail. I'm looking forward to maybe getting you on here for around two in 2022.
2: Sure. Thanks a lot, Ben. It (laughs) will be a pleasure.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Oldest Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and any Android podcast of choice. You can also head over to our website, www.aldis.com to listen to more podcasts, view our open roles and stay up to date with industry news. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for more great episodes coming very soon.